Welcome back to the Crash Course Podcast. My name is Craig Crash Collins, joined alongside by Brandon Scott, otherwise known as B. Scott. We've got a lot to talk to you guys about tonight. We're going to talk about the Colts uh, and their Week 5 game against the Browns. We're going to talk about the end of the NBA season, talk a little bit about the finals and the postseason and how the bubble went. We're also going to get into... Uh, some uh, some interesting you know thoughts and and, and discussion about the uh, Pacers offseason. Um, I know we already did it kind of a podcast earlier, but some new things have happened. Nate McMillan obviously no longer with the Pacers. What's Victor Oladipo's future looks like? So look like so we've got a lot going on. B Scott, uh, first of all, how you doing tonight, B Scott? Hey, I'm good. And you know what? Last time you had a, a an off season for the Pacers, like a look into the off season, I wasn't around. So exactly. Now I get to, I get to give my two cents on uh, what I think is going to be a crazy off season for the Pacers. First, let's go ahead though, and hop right into kind of a quick recap of the Colts and the Browns um, from yesterday. Um, the Colts at the Browns uh, on Sunday, week five, Browns win 32 to 23. The Browns did have a 17 point second quarter that led uh, Cleveland to a 20 to 10 lead at the half. Phillip Rivers throws a pick six early in the third, but then Isaiah Rogers quickly returns the favor and runs the kickoff back 101 yards for a touchdown. So no harm, no foul. The Colts were still in it 27 to 20. Uh, uh, they were, that's what they trailed the Browns heading into the fourth quarter. The Colts do commit an end zone in the piddle in the, uh, in the, uh, excuse me, the Colts do commit a penalty in the end zone for a safety that gives the Browns a nine point lead. That's where it stayed the rest of the day. Uh, the two teams, uh, traded field goals the rest of the way, but that pretty much did it in for the Colts. Uh, as far as stats go, Phillip Rivers went 21 for 33 for 243 yards and two interceptions. T.Y. Hilton, I mean, obviously not a game that we're used to seeing him have as far as like being a great game, but at the same time, it was a kind of, you know, solid performance by him. Six catches, 69 yards. Uh, the, game of the season for him. Yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 at least a start for him. Um, and then 68 yards rushing for the Colts. Uh, uh, Jonathan Taylor had 12 carries for 57 yards and a touchdown. Now, of course, it should be noted that Darius Leonard was out for this game. And, um, you know, the defense, though, still played well. Um, but I think if, if you're a Colts fan, you should be you sh- you have a right to be disappointed. I'm disappointed as well, uh, but I'm not really that surprised. The defense wasn't awful, but they definitely did miss Darius Leonard. It would have been nice to obviously have him. Uh, Baker Mayfield uh, did go 21 for 37 for 247 yards, two touchdowns and two picks. Um, now, Baker Mayfield, easily the best quarterback that the Colts have faced all season um, and had a performance that embodied that. Um, and then of course, you know, Baker's got better weapons around him. Um, you know, as far, you know, than the Colts have faced this season, I mean, Nick Foles had, you know, you know, uh, Allen Robinson, that's about it. You know, Kirk Cousins had Adam Thielen, that's about it. So this is the first team that the Colts have faced with a legitimate, tangible, good offense. Um, and they you know, I don't want to say they failed the test because I don't really want to go that harsh with it, but I'm definitely disappointed. We'll see how the Colts bounce back from this, um, but definitely the offense is still the the gigantic liability heading into week six. They better bounce back from this. They play the Bengals next 
<laughs> so, you know, I, I was disappointed as well and not surprised at the same time. But, you, you know, the defense, you said the defense wasn't awful. You know what? The defense actually played really, really, really well. Yeah, the first half was something you don't really want to think about too much. You know, they gave up 20 points in the first half. Um, but I think in the first half, it was really just kind of, they were truly missing Darius Leonard. They missed that leader for them on the field, on the defensive side of things. Cause in the second half they came out and they played lights out. They played really good shut down defense. I mean, think about it. Majority of the points that were given up were the Cleveland Browns defense was scoring those, whether it been the pick, pick six or the safety. I mean, right there, that was nine points right there now nine points and then otherwise that's the difference the defense, in the game <laughs> the defense gave up a field goal the entire second half they forced baker mayfield to go for go two for 19 in the second half that defense played lights out i mean look at baker mayfield's stats still 21 of 37 only two of those completions came in the second half 247 yards two touchdowns and two ints i mean still this Colts defense is is a bunch of ball hawks they are forcing turnovers when they need to. I mean, the defense is still playing lights out. They, they held Cleveland to season lows on, in yards in uh, scoring. I mean, Cleveland on average scores about, I think I read it was about, it's about 39 points per game. And the Colts defense technically held them to like 25. I'm not good at math, folks. So uh, <laughs> that, that 24 statement. points. 24 <laughs> points. I mean, that that's that's really good. This defense is really good. On the flip side, the offense is bad. However, missing Anthony Costanzo, that is a bigger deal than most people think. In Anthony Costanzo's absence, any game that he has not played in, including this past weekend, the Colts are now two and eighteen. That is a lot. I mean, they, that is a player that it, you are, you're truly missing. I, I think, I feel like maybe some of the uh, interceptions come from forced passes that, that may have been caused by uh, Miles Garrett, you know, rushing the passer. Um, and then the, the low yard total in the rushing game, you don't have Anthony Costanzo there. I think we, we don't realize how good Anthony Costanzo is until he's not there. You look at that offensive line and you go, that offensive line is anchored around Quentin Nelson. It is, but Anthony Costanzo is, I feel like he's like one of the stronger keys to that offensive line. Without him, it's just not as good. I mean, it's still, I mean, let's be honest, it's still really good, but it's just not as good. So there was just a lot of key factors into this game that were kind of stacked up against the Colts. Having two of your better players, one of them being your defensive captain, your, basically your team leader out that those are those are going to be hard things to overcome. The defense still played very very well and is still ranked as one of the top defenses in the NFL even without Darius Leonard this past week and they played one of the better offensive teams in the NFL. But I'm still very very concerned about this offense, Anthony Costanzo or not. I mean, the passing game it's just not there. So have only scored two offensive touchdowns in your last 22 possessions. That's not going to get it done. You cannot expect your defense and your special teams to outscore teams every single week. You, you just can't. 
And this offense needs to figure it out. And then the biggest thing that's concerning to me is that in the post-game press conference, when Frank Reich, who I still think is a really good coach, don't get me wrong, I'm not going to sit here and bash Frank Reich at all. I think he is one of the most underrated coaches in the NFL as far as play calling goes. But this quote had me scratching my head, a little perplexed. When asked about Philip Rivers' play, he, to sum up the quote, he's not concerned about the quarterback play right now. I'm not concerned about it at all. What? I mean, yes, it's one game. It's one game. But just take away the interceptions and, you know, the bad passes, whatever. I'm still concerned because the offense has failed to put the ball in the end zone on a consistent basis. I mean, thank goodness for Rodrigo Blankenship. This this offense – it can move between the twenties. I will say that it can move between the twenties, but it cannot punch it in the end zone to save its life. And that, that is what's really concerning. That's going to be the biggest obstacle for them to overcome going down the stretch in the season. Cause the defense is going to have some injuries we're seeing that right now. And it's going to have some games where it doesn't play lights out. And that happens. That's just what happens over the stretch of an NFL season. So the offense is going to be required to win a few games. I mean, heck, when we get to the playoffs, if, the, if everything keeps going the way it is, the Colts will make the playoffs. So nobody sound the alarm. This isn't like <laughs> last year. This defense is for real. So that that's also probably one of the disappointing things too, is that if this team isn't going to, this team's not going to make any noise in the playoffs because the offense is bad. The defense is going to win us enough games that they're not going to have a very good draft pick and they're going to miss out on some of the top tier quarterbacks. So that could be one of the the biggest downfalls to the entire season. Yes. I guess I'm looking big picture here, Um, but you know, they may figure it out. They may right the ship. I hope they do. I'm optimistic still. It's one game. You know, the Colts have had a don't play very well on the road to begin with. And it was at Cleveland and, I know well, it was the Cleveland Browns. Well, no, the Cleveland Browns are actually good this year. Yeah. They've actually figured it out finally. And it was just, it, it was Cleveland's week. I, you know, I, I think they are going to figure it out. They have some good timing with the Bengals coming to town next week. Um, if I'm the Colts, I'm having my scouts all over that stadium watching AJ green. And I, if I'm Chris Ballard, I may be trying to have a conversation with the GM of the Cincinnati Bengals and seeing what kind of deal we can put together to get AJ Green into a Colts uniform, because that is one of the things the Colts are missing right now is a big target at wide receiver. Um, you know, with Michael Pittman out and Desmond Patman out and just uncertain play at tight end, that's what they're missing. They need some help there. Um, now, would you? Well, I mean. If this were a couple of years ago, I'd be right there with you with AJ Green. But the only thing that worries me is I don't know if it's now. Granted, I mean I don't know. It's a weird situation with AJ Green because on the one hand you think like is he starting to kind of lose it a little bit as far as like not you know being the player that he once was, and he's definitely on the back end. He's you know past his prime a little bit, but not as in, he's as he's one. He's but 31. but I mean you I mean. He caught zero passes, and it and he looked lost at times out there against the Ravens. And if you can't, I mean, this this is the year to be excited. I mean, they they finally got a franchise. You know what what 
they believe what the Bengals believe is going to be kind of a, a once, you know, once in a lifetime type guy in Joe Burrow. They got the, you know, they should be super hyped. He should super, be super hyped to have a new quarterback. And yet he's not played really all that well. And well, there's, there's, look there's at it this way. He is past his prime. Okay. Yeah. He's it. He, there is not many options there. So defenses can really key up on him. If, if you bring him in just to be another, another weapon, alongside T.Y. Hilton. A.J. Green, I would feel like, is an upgrade over Ashton Doolin. Oh, I mean, I mean, to be fair, Ashton. yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's a fair that's what point. I'm, I'm not, I don't need him to go back to his Pro Bowl caliber days. Right. What the Colts need is somebody serviceable that can actually help stretch the field. I mean, because right now, what, what the Colts are lacking, they know T.Y. is a deep threat. T.Y. is a deep threat. But there's just no, not much reliable underneath for defenses to respect other than the run game. And even that is not great right now. I mean, the Colts offense ranks 22nd in the NFL, 22nd. And the run game is, is I mean, it's just not, nothing is terrifying to defenses when they look at it. And that is a, that, that's huge. I feel like if you just brought, I mean, I don't know. It may not help anything. It it may, it might, because right now, other than T.Y. Hilton, you're running out there a bunch of wide receivers that have hardly any experience. At least A.J. Green's got experience. Right. And, you know, like I said, I'm not looking for the Pro Bowl level from A.J. Green. I, the, what the Colts need is just serviceable, something to help in the passing game, somebody that will fight for a ball. And maybe, you know, he A.J. Green says he wants out. I mean, Think about how many coaches has AJ Green had, right? You know, you know, or at least offensive coordinators. I mean, and then different quarterbacks. I mean, it's just maybe right. he and it could same time working with a rookie quarterback isn't all for a wide receiver that's 31 years old, isn't always the most ideal situation. So maybe putting him with a guy like Phillip Rivers, where you know it just it may help his game a little bit more. I, yeah. I don't know, but I mean, it's just, it's one of the options out there. And I feel like an AJ, the AJ green route, an option like that may cost you a fifth round pick. Right. And there's a, it's a lot of, there's a lot of upside there. I don't know how many years are left on his contract or what his contract looks like, but I mean, now I will say this now, uh, you know, and, and it could be true. I mean, cause on the one hand, on, on the pro side of AJ green, you have, well, the reason he's not playing uh, as well as he once was is because he wants out. He wants a change of scenery, and the Colts can provide that. But on the other side, you have: is he not playing? Is does he want out because he's not playing as well? He's not getting targeted as much, all that kind of thing. So you kind of have those two sides of the spectrum. But when you said the Colts need somebody underneath to take the pressure off of Hilton, my mind initially went. You know, hear me out on this. My mind initially went. My mind initially went to Julian Edelman. The Patriots aren't going to move off him. So my then thought went to Danny Amendola from the Lions. Could you maybe get a Danny Amendola who might be a little bit cheaper on a Lions team that really is kind of not really doesn't really have a direction right now as a franchise on the one hand, they've got Matthew Stafford, you know, you know, so they feel like they've got a a decent quarterback in place to maybe do something, but then the talent around him hasn't really gelled. So maybe do you punt on bringing in Danny Amendola and, you know, trade him to the Colts. The Colts can maybe give you a a couple of decent players or, you know, some picks. Um, I think that could be an investment that might be, 
a, a little bit safer might be a little bit more up Chris Ballard's alley than maybe an AJ, AJ Green. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess saying that needing that option underneath is the wrong thing because AJ Green's not that underneath option <laughs> either. He's a field stretcher. But when I look at AJ Green, he is more along the line of the type of wide receiver that Philip Rivers has had a lot of success with that taller wide receiver, like Vincent Jackson and and those guys. But remember, just look at all the the success that he has had with six, six, two and taller wide receivers when he was with San with the Chargers. (laughs) Yeah. Philip Rivers was super great when all I had to do was just throw the ball up in the air and a super tall guy could go grab it because he's taller than everyone else. Right. (laughs) That's what AJ Green would bring. Right. Right. And I mean, obviously, I'm surprised that the tight end position hasn't. I mean, obviously, Moali Cox had one bad game, so I can't say it's been shaky. But you know, Philip Rivers has worked with some really good tight ends. I right, mean, Antonio Gates. Antonio Gates. So, uh, it's, I know he's not a tight end, but Wes Welker was on the Chargers, wasn't he? Was he a Charger at one point? I know he was on the Dolphins. No, he was a. a wasn't he a Bronco? He, he was he was a Bronco, but he was a Patriot before that. But before that, I thought he was either on the, he was either on the Chargers. I knew he was on the Dolphins, but I can't remember if he was on the Chargers in between the Dolphins and the Patriots. That's I but so. I think he was always with the Dolphins. Here, I'm gonna look it up while you continue yeah. with your point. But you know, it, there just needs to be something. I know everybody's gonna sit there and say, "Well, why trade for a wide receiver? We need to trade for a quarterback." How? Right. How? Who? Who is going? To, okay. Who's giving up their their quarterback, and what's the cost going to be? I mean, right. Right now, I I honestly believe the NFL is not deep at all at the quarterback position. There's not a guy that's just kind of floating out there. And before anybody says it, Colin Kaepernick is not going to be signed into the NFL. Politics or no politics, he's done. He's done. Would a player like Colin Kaepernick be really good right about now? Probably, but it, it's just not going to happen. Let's let's be let's be honest. The NFL has black flagged him, and it is what it is. So, right. but beyond that, who else is out there? And no, Andrew Luck's not coming out of retirement. I mean, no. I, I I tried looking up. I looked up last night. The top fifty. Uh, Brett Favre. <laughs> Brett Favre's always ready to go, right? Tony Romo. <laughs> The, the, I saw a meme after Dak went down yesterday with his injury. Tony Romo. It was a meme of somebody of Bernie Sanders coming down an escalator with uh, some like with a serious look on his face, like "All right, put me in, coach." And somebody said, "This is Tony Romo when Dak went down." <laughs> but seriously, I mean, you look at the top fifty available uh, white, uh, free agents right now in the NFL. There's not a single quarterback there. I mean, who who can the Colts go out and sign? And who would be worthy enough for who, who are you going to go out and try to trade for even and not have to sell the farm? Right. You know, I mean, or is it, I mean, if you have a couple more bad games with Phillip rivers, is it time to look at, go to Jacob Eason route? I, I don't know, but. Or do you, do they go the Jacoby Brissett route? They have Brissett. They don't. Brissett route. I don't think they, they go that route. I think that maybe they try it for a game and if yeah. it fails, but. I mean, I, I, what you're more likely to see is the Colt. I mean, you're probably not going to see any of this. Let's just be honest. This is just, this is what we do. Yeah. Um, we talk about these types of things and they don't come to fruition ever, but <laughs> the more likely thing would be to 
try to trade for some wide receiver help. You're okay at running back. You're okay at tight end. You're okay at offensive line. And that's not me grading those positions. That's just saying you don't need really help at those positions. The area you need help in is wide receiver. I don't, everybody's like, man, we're, we were so lucky when we had Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck. Yeah, we were. You're right. We were. But look at the weapons those guys had. Marvin yeah. Harrison, Reggie Wayne, a young T.Y. Hilton, Brandon Dallas Clark. Berkeley, Dallas Clark. Well, now I'm, not, I'm just looking at wide receivers. Um, right. I mean, Pierre Garçon, Austin Collie, <laughs> Andrew Gonzalez. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm joking, but, but. It's, it, they had really good weapons. Yeah. And right now the Colts wide receiving room is bare. It is bare. And, and it's not anything with their, to their fault. I mean, they coming into this season, the wide receiving room looked like it was going to be a strength. T.Y. Hilton, Paris Campbell, Michael Pittman, Desmond Patton. I mean, that was good. Paris Campbell looked like he was going to have a great season until he tore his Achilles. Desmond Patman was, or uh, Michael Pittman was looking really good until uh, his, his uh, injury issue reared its head. And uh, that his, I forget what it's called, but it's um, not very good. Like <laughs> it's one of those things that it's, he's always going to have it. And this could be potential where he could miss several games a season because of it so like plantar fasciitis no it's something in his leg where he had to go oh. in and actually have it relieved oh i was like i that's the only thing i can think of that like crop like that does crop up every now and again yeah, it's like, something, it's, like, it's something in like his, his lower leg i believe um but it, it's it, it's it is it's a scary thought because this is a this was a wide receiving room that had a ton of potential um so that's why I think if you're going to make any moves, try to bring in wide receivers, look at teams like the lions. Yeah. Um, but just look at around, I mean, Galladay yeah. would be a, an option from the lions, but I mean, just look at around the, the, the league and see, I mean, keep your ear to the ground. If, if I'm Chris Ballard, I'm looking, I mean, there are, there, there are a few options out there that are serviceable. One of the main options, if you wanted to bring them in, at wide receiver is sitting out there in the open market, Muhammad Sanu. He's 34, but he got cut from the 49ers probably because he's 34 and they had a bunch of younger wide receivers, but he's an option. I mean, there, there's, there's, there are guys out there. And I think that's the area where the Colts need to look at trying to shore things up and not trying to just patch it over with band-aids from the practice squad. I'm sorry, but you're not going to win games with Ashton Doolin and Marcus Johnson as your starting wide receivers. You're just you're just not. So I don't know. Is any of this going to happen? Nope. <laughs> but the hey, Colts will be the Colts will be good enough to get into the playoffs, but or yeah, good good enough to get into the playoffs, but not bad enough to get a good draft pick. 
Yeah, that's it, that's a that, lot like the Indiana Pacers, right? Hey, you know what? That is a wonderful segue into our uh, next topic, which was is our NBA season recap. But before we get there, uh, let's go ahead and remind you guys that if you want to follow us on Twitter, uh, go ahead and uh, go to our Twitter page at Crash Course FM, uh, Crash Course Podcast on YouTube. New uh, memory lane coming out on Friday. Uh, we're gonna take a step away from uh, the Big Ten championships for a minute. Minute and we're going to start getting into it's the baseball season it's the baseball playoffs um you know alcs nlcs getting going so we're going to relive the cubs postseason run so we're going to watch the clinchers uh for the next three weeks we're going to watch the clinchers from all of those series the giants and uh dodgers and indians and root to the cubs winning in 2016 so that'll be a lot of fun um and so and then we also post the podcast if you do miss um uh, that as well um and then you remember you can uh if you do miss us recording live on facebook which we're doing right now so if you're listening to us on the audio version go make sure you like us or like our facebook page crash course podcast um so that way uh you can watch us live every week and then remember you can listen to us weekly on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, uh spotify wherever podcasts can be heard you can hear the crash course podcast so um let's get into uh our uh, nba season recap which uh, the NBA season concluded uh, just last night. The Lakers uh, do beat the Heat four games to two in the NBA Finals. Uh, the Lakers did win the first two games of the series. Jimmy Butler, um, he scores 40, uh, gets a triple-double in game three, which allows the Heat to pull back into it. Game five was an incredible game. Um, Jimmy Butler has 35 points, 12 rebounds, 11 assists, a triple-double. LeBron has 40 points and 13 rebounds. The Heat win um, to uh, to make it three games to two that the Lakers were up. Uh, but then the Lakers win uh, last night, 106-93 to 93 in game six to win the series. Um, you know, my reaction to, um, you know, to the NBA finals, you know, it was a situation where it started out not so fun because it looked like the Lakers were just going to run away with it. They had run away with their other series, um, in the Western conference side of things. So it looked like they were going to just kind of run away with the NBA finals as well. Um, but then it became really fun really once the heat kind of woke up and got back into the series, it became a really fun series to watch. Um, but it was about what you expected, um, you know, from this series and from the NBA playoffs, LeBron dominated. Um, he averaged 30 points a game. He was the NBA finals MVP. Anthony Davis was right behind him with 26 points. Um, but kind of what I learned and it's what we learned early on in the postseason, really, uh, since the bubble began is that the heat are a scary team. You know, I, I, I said uh, earlier, uh, you know, earlier this year that I kind of wish I had stayed with my heat prediction to go at least to the NBA or to at least to not to the NBA finals. I don't think I was going to have them beat the Celtics or the, or the bucks, uh, you know, but I kind of wished I, I had stuck with that pick because uh, you know, of them getting to the Eastern conference finals um, because uh, you know, they're a very good team, a very scary team. Um, and, you know, if they can add a piece or two via trade or via free agency, I mean, they're going to be kind of up there with the Bucks and the Raptors um, as far as, you know, you know, a, a, they're going to be up there as far as a team um, that can, you know, contend for that Eastern Conference crown. I mean, there's some rumors. Uh, you know, I've heard rumors that Giannis could possibly 
be dealt to the Heat. I don't know how really legit those are. Uh, but one, you know, one player that the Heat were trying to get at the trade deadline was Danilo Gallerini. Um, so it's rumored that he's a restricted free agent. That's not a rumor, it's fact, but he's but he's rumored that he would be a good fit for the Heat as well. So they can add a few more pieces. I mean, this is a Heat team going into next season that's gonna be really scary, and that kind of makes you as a Pacers fan kind of grimace because it looked like the the, the heavens were kind of opening up for kind of anybody could, could win the Eastern conference. You know, there's no, no more LeBron. We can, you know, it can be literally anyone. It can be the bucks, the Raptors, the heat, the Sixers. The it's Celtics, not going to be the bucks. Well, I mean, you know, if they, if they, if they keep Giannis and they added some more pieces, but they kind of, they kind of have that Pacers mentality. And we'll get it back to it a little bit later of like not wanting to go too big. And that ends up being kind of their downfall. But, you know, it kind of looked like it was going to be that situation where we'd have, you know, a bunch of different teams. And now, um, you know, the Heat are starting to crop up again. You know, the Celtics have looked strong. So it, it looks, you know, as formidable as ever for the Pacers to try to get back into things. Yeah, I mean, all right, I'll, I'll admit it. I did not watch a single game of this NBA Finals. Not because... I was boycotting it or anything like that. I just found myself having better things to do. Right. I've gotten to a point where I'm tired of LeBron. You know, it's one of those, I respect the fact that he is a really good player, but I don't respect the fact that he whines so much on the court. I know. And I think it's old watching. Like for me, I'm a huge red. Everybody knows I'm a huge Red Sox fan, but I enjoyed watching Derek Jeter play because Derek Jeter was a heck of a baseball player and just he was fun to watch. Um, LeBron's just not fun to watch anymore. He, he just to me he isn't. It's it's the same old same old. He goes out. He, I mean, not he goes out and he plays like this because he can because he's so much physically stronger than everybody else. And I mean, that part is, that's great. You know, that's him. I, I, there's no argument that he, he's a great basketball player, but it's just everything else that goes along with LeBron. I just get so, I get tired of, I guess. Um, did I keep tabs on the games? Yeah, I kept tabs on the games. No matter what I, I did, I was, I, I was curious enough, but I wasn't going to go out of my way to tune in every night to, that they played. I mean, I, had the game feed or the, you know, the game cast going on Bleacher Report and following it along like that. But I don't know. I guess I'm ready for the next changing of the guard in the NBA. I guess I'm ready for the the Golden State Warriors to be healthy again. Um, But, and I think maybe also just the fact playing in a bubble, there was no shift like, okay, now they're heading back to Miami and then the yeah. crowd gets into it as well. I think for me, that was probably one of the main reasons. Um, but it, it, I don't know. Watching the Pacers was fun just because I'm a Pacers fan. And early on, I, the, the storyline behind TJ Warren playing like he did at the beginning of the, the bubble, that was, that was fun to follow. Could he keep it up? You know, that type of thing. Or watching the Phoenix Suns go undefeated early on in the bubble and coming out of nowhere and, you know, wanting to pull for them. That, that, that was fun. There's, there's things like that that was a lot of fun about the bubble. But the biggest thing for me was just no fans. Just re- I mean, I know they were there virtually, but it, it just didn't have the same thing, the same feel to it. And then especially in the playoffs and the finals, it was they were playing on the same court every single time. 
it wasn't, there wasn't, I don't know. You kind of felt like, okay, if they can, if the uh, lower seeded team or the, you know, the, the underdog can steal a game here, they're going back home and, and they'll, they'll give them some momentum and they'll have their home base behind them. They can probably, they can, you know, that'd be a good opportunity for them to take a couple more and really maybe try to take command of the series without that. There just, there wasn't that kind of intrigue or for me around the NBA finals and kind of going into it. Did I think Miami had a chance? Yeah, I did because they were so dominant in the playing going through the East. Um, but then after game one, I was like, okay, <laughs> there that's that and you know did they put up a fight yeah they did um but i feel like uh game five was or, yeah it was game five um when miami after miami won that game that just took it out of them i tuned in to check the score in game six and it was like, I think it was the first quarter and the heat were up by like 20 some points or not the heat, the Lakers were up by 20 some points. And I was like, yep, there it is. Now I had it gone to a game seven. I probably would have tuned into game seven. Um, but I mean, a lot of times, even in championship like elimination games like that, I'll tune in at the very end to see it. And part of me really wanted to tune in because I really, 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 wanted to see Frank Vogel right. voice that trophy. I'm so happy for him. So happy for him. And by the way, a former Purdue Boilermaker basketball player also was on that championship team, not as a player, but as a video coordinator, uh, Drew Anthrop, the, the <laughs> Anthrop family, the, the family of Purdue athletics uh, is the video coordinator for the, for the LA Lakers, you know, just like Frank Vogel got his start and Eric Spolstra. For those of you who didn't know that, Eric Spolster was also got his start as a video coordinator. Hmm. So, um, yeah, interesting. You don't you don't have to be a great basketball player to become a coach, a, a championship winning coach in the NBA. It, it seems to be done. like the trend. Like if you weren't very good, like as a player, you become like a manager or a coach or you know or something like that. It seems, or even if you were good as a player, they expect you to be a, a great coach. I think Larry right. Bird started that trend, truly, right. and. <laughs> everybody's like, well, if it worked for Larry Bird, I mean, it can, it can happen again. And uh, so far. Yeah. I, I will uh, say this. I do, I do see what you're saying because I didn't, not that I expected no fans to be, you know, like, not that I expected there to be no difference, but I definitely like see what you're saying as far as, as there's not that shift uh, in momentum that you're used to seeing. And, and the problem is, is that each of these sports now that they're playing and in, in, into, uh, you know, into different stages of their season. Of course, the NFL just starting and the NBA's playoffs just concluding uh, MLB in the middle of their postseason. They're, they're a product of when they started. So, you know, the fact that, you know, so it seems a little odd that like, you know, you, you've got the, the NBA in a bubble, the, you know, Major League Baseball is in a bubble with no fans, but then, you know, in those same areas where they're having, no, you know, no fans, they're also holding NFL games, some of which have fans. You have the, Dolphins having a full or allowing a full stadium. 
Right. You have the, you know, you have Florida Gators, you know, you have college football allowing fans in the stands, that kind of thing. So it's, it feels really weird juxtaposed against, you know, that, but it's, like I said, it's a product of when they started. So it's a little odd. And I definitely like noticed it wasn't as cool to like, you know, you normally like there's, there's big moments in these playoff games, obviously. And you, you don't hear that like erupting of the fans or like the, the stadium goes silent if it goes against their team. So that I did miss. Um, you know, from the postseason, and you know, and, and I think you know, it was interesting to see. Um, you know, I, I was rooting, I, I, I wasn't rooting for LeBron, but I was glad to see the Lakers win, you know, because of all the things that the Lakers as a organization have been through this season. You know, the death of Kobe Bryant that was, um, you know, cool to see them get the win because of that. And I tuned in, you know, and I made sure to tune into the end of, of game six because yeah, I did, I, I did the same thing you did, I looked at the score. Um, you know, I flipped over, I was watching a little bit of the Rays and the Astros and then I flip over and saw it was like 64 to 36 at halftime. I was like, I can tune into that here in a little bit. <laughs> so I went back to the Rays and the Astros. Speaking um, of the so- Rays and the Astros, if there's, a, if there is one team that can play with no fans and play very well with no fans, <laughs> it, it's, it's the, the Tampa Bay Rays. <laughs> <laughs> they can be successful <laughs> that I mean, way. Here they are having their great, a really good season, making a run at the World Series potentially, and no fans are allowed, and that doesn't seem to affect them one bit. Nope, nope. They, they thrive in these scenarios. And can we talk about how, you know, the Astros, after the cheating scandal – like a series went away from making the world series. You don't know how much I'm like sweating bullets because I don't want to see them win a world series ever again. I want their one franchise as a world series. Now talk to me again in, you know, five, 10 years, I may not feel the same way, but like right now I'm like, I want their one world series with this core of players to be tainted. That's what I want. I will admit it. I, I, that's how, Far the hate goes, I want their one World Series Because if they win the World Series this year, then it basically says, who cares if they cheated? They were that good. Well, and that's the thing. Like, in 2015, the Astros – that's the year the Astros broke onto the scene where Correa and Altuve – I don't think Bregman was there yet, um, but they had a lot of pieces from their current team um, that were kind of being molded. Like, they had a good team. Like that, that's the thing that I think that's the most like jaw dropping about the whole cheating scandal is that they had a good team. Um, they didn't need to cheat, but they chose to cheat. So I think that's, it'd be one thing if like, I mean, I'm not, not saying there's a good way to cheat and a bad way to cheat, but if you're, you know, if you know, there, there was Best a, way to cheat, there was get caught. exactly. Well, I mean, there's like, as far as there was a little bit of a rumor before the big news with the uh, Washington football team broke this summer, um, that there was a possibility that they had paid off the refs. And of course that got immediately shot down and disbunked because even like one of the one like official from the team was like, look, if we were paying the refs, we should have done a way better job because it's- we wouldn't have been picking in the top five. <laughs> right. So like if the, if the Washington football team went from being, you know, two and 14 every year, and then all of a sudden they're 14 and two with very minimal roster changes then that's that's something where I could be like, all right, you cheated, that sucks, but I can see kind of why you cheated. Whereas the Astros were a good team, and they're like, you know what? We're so insecure as a franchise that we feel like we need that extra edge to put us over the top because we have to win a World Series with this core of players because, you know, we have to make the, the tanking, you know, legitimate, basically. Um, 
So yeah, I, I am like, please, please do not let the Astros make the World Series. If they get to the World Series, I mean, okay, the only way I'd be okay with the Astros getting to the World Series is if they're playing the Dodgers, and then please let the Dodgers win. Take yeah. redemption. It comes full circle. All right, then you know because th- that's the crazy thing, and I, I didn't, I, you know, I, I don't mean to be forty minutes into the podcast and we haven't talked about the Pacers like, uh, but like a handful of times, but like. The thing is, is that like, I just, I, uh, I lost my train of thought. That's what just happened just then. But my brain was like, nope, Pacers, you're at 40 minutes. Uh, but if, if I, if I remember it, I will come back to it. Uh, but yeah, let's go ahead. I'll try to, you know what? I'm going to give myself an ad break to try to remember what I was talking about. So, uh, we're going to get to these ads real quick and then we'll be back to talk about the Pacers or remember what my point was. All right. I knew I would remember it if I gave myself a little bit of time. Uh, basically what I was going to say though, is that like the, the, the Astros is, is the crazy thing about the Astros is that they have, you know, going into this season, they were supposed to uh, like, I mean, you know, they were supposed to hear the booing of the fans. There was going to be a couple of players that went renegade and, and, and hit them. There was going to be, you know, well, they did. Well, right. Joe Kelly. Right, right. So Joe Kelly was the kind of saving grace of that whole movement. But they were supposed to face their retribution this year. It doesn't happen because of no fans. Then they decide, like, you know what? Even though we're the ones that cheated, we cheated the system. Instead of just saying, hey, we're sorry, we, you know, we didn't, whatever, and they could just kind of have a redemption arc of their own. That way, they decide, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to embrace the villain role and play the victim. Like you guys have been mean to us all year because you guys had the audacity to, you know, say that our title that we cheated to get isn't legitimate. And then, you know, they've kind of played themselves up as like us against the world, which I mean, I guess theoretically it is them against the world, but at the same time, like it's their own fault that it's like that. And so um, it would be nothing better than for that whole like story arc, that redemption arc to end with the Dodgers who, you know, where this all began the Dodgers to beat the Astros. So, you know what? I want the Dodgers. I'm kind of pulling for the Dodgers of the four teams that are left anyway, but that's the only way that I would be okay with the Astros coming back from a two games to none deficit and, uh, and winning the ALCS, but I don't want to make that gamble. So I really hope it's Dodgers Rays. <laughs> so hey, I'm, I'm pulling for the Rays because why not? I mean, yeah, I mean, that will be a no, fun story. Seriously. The Rays are good every, every few years and, I don't know. Anybody but the Yankees is what I would say. I always say anybody hey. but the Yankees and the Yankees are out. But yeah. our show tonight is about Pacers <laughs> and the upcoming off season and how crazy it's going to be. I mean, yeah. What are they going to do? Right. So, I mean, you know, I mean, it's, it's okay to get to the main topic 45 minutes in, right? It's fine. It's all good. No, no. I mean, if anybody has an issue with that on Facebook live, Speak now or forever hold your peace. <laughs> uh, ahead, that's what the chat is for. Yeah, that is. Comment that away. Is, yeah, comment away. Let us know what you think. Um, but yeah, so the Pacers uh, go, come into kind of a kind of a weird offseason because there's already been rumors swirling around that Oladipo uh, might want out of it, uh, might want out of Indianapolis. Uh, Depot has refu- refuted those rumors, but I mean, you never know. You know, it's kind what of. What was he going to do? Confirm them? Right, exactly. So you, you, you kind of take that with a grain of salt. Nate McMillan was fired just two weeks after signing an extension. Uh, you know, that was kind of met with mixed reviews. I think it was time. Um, you know, it was just, it wasn't working out. 
Um, and, and they just weren't taking that next step. And literally, I mean, literally sweeps the last two seasons, understandably. So one year it was without, without Oladipo, the next year was without, without some bonus, but still, um, not getting it done. Um, and then they have no first round picks this year. Um, and they don't have a lot of cap space. So, you know, normally this time of year, we're talking about who can they maybe go get, who can they, and it's, it's kind of a weird spot for them to be on, you know, my thoughts, you know, like I said, I think it was time to move on, um, from Nate McMillan. Um, he hadn't been getting it done. It kind of seemed like there were some spots where, you know, he wasn't, you know, kind of pushing the right buttons and with the team that does have aspirations to at least be in the upper echelon of the Eastern conference, if not contending for the Eastern conference, um, you know, it's, um, you know, it's a little, you know, it's, it's a little, um, you know, kind of, you know, it, you know, it, it's, you're, you're not really that excited with what he's been able to do because he hasn't been able to do much. He hasn't been pushing those those buttons that you'd like to see um, him be able to push. So, yeah, it, it's a little frustrating, um, you know, that they haven't been able to really take that next step. And, you know, it's it's not been great on his end of things. And then as far as um, as far as Victor Oladipo goes, I mean, I've seen some rumors about where he could potentially go. I've seen, um, you know, some things like that, you know, where it could potentially be traded to. But I think, you know, as much as I love Victor Oladipo, you know, on multiple levels, I loved him on the Mass Singer. I love him. I love him as an Indiana Pacer. Um, and, you know, I, I love me some Victor Oladipo, but he's he needs to realize that this is really one of the few teams in the NBA where he will be the guy um, and actually be in a good situation to at least contend or win every season. Sure. He can go to the Knicks and be the guy. He can go to the Kings and be the guy. But he's not going to be in the same situation he's in with the Pacers. And I mean, maybe he's not, he doesn't want to be in this situation with the Pacers, but if he wants to win um, and wants to win, you know, sooner rather than later, I mean, because the thing is too, is that I don't want to be one of those people on Twitter, on social media that are like, yeah, you know what? Victor Oladipo had one good season. He's trash, whatever. But he had that great first season, then the season with the injury where he was still having a good year, and then this year where he's recovered from the injury. He's been with the Pacers three three seasons now, two of which have been recovering from an injury or you know without him due to injury, and one was that great breakout season. So – I mean, not to, not to downplay that, but that's not enough, in my opinion, to be like, yep, I could carry a franchise. I think he can. He's got a lot of good guys around him here in Indiana, which is why I think it'd be kind of a wrong move to uh, abandon that. Now, there is, you know, there's also rumors that, you know, the Mavericks could be looking at him, but they're in the West. So that may be kind of a little bit, you know, he may just get buried, um, you know, in the West. And then the, the one team that does scare me that, you know, I've heard rumored to get him is the Raptors um, just because that's, that is a winning franchise and they do have a solid core there as well. So that would be a team that I would be worried about getting Oladipo. But I mean, it, it the, the fact of the matter is as much as I love Victor Oladipo, he's not going to carry a franchise by himself and, and, you know, even if he is the face of a franchise, it's not going to be a franchise with a winning pedigree. You know, he will be kind of the name on the marquee if he goes to Toronto. But even then, he's not going to be the guy because there's other guys there as well that are kind of on that same level of superstar. So, uh, you know, I, I don't want to see Oladipo go. 
Um, but that's just kind of where I'm at as far as like his impact to the NBA. Now his impact to, to the Pacers is, is fantastic. And I hope he doesn't go, like I said, but you know, in the whole scope of the NBA, I don't think he can expect to go to, you know, another franchise, you know, like the Kings, like the Knicks and expect to be both the guy and also win basketball games and be in contention to win the East. All right. So the Nate McMillan firing, I think was the right move. It was time to move on. Um, I know everybody's like Mike D'Antoni, Mike D'Antoni, Mike D'Antoni. You know how many times Mike D'Antoni has been rumored to the Pacers every time they have a coach, a coach, a head coach vacancy every time it just hasn't happened for me. The two that I'm down to the most, I mean, if Mike D'Antoni happens, okay, great. We'll see how it goes. Not thrilled. The two that I would love to see, and no, not Mark Jackson. I want either Chauncey Billups. Because in my mind, Chauncey Billups, I mean, he's one of those guys that was a good basketball player, but he was like a coach on the court. Let's be honest, he was. That, that's what made him so good. The other one, Becky Hammonds. I know, oh, no, who's going to make that move and hire the first female head coach? Why not? I mean, she's, she was a heck of a basketball player, a great basketball mind, and she's been learning uh, coaching techniques and everything under Greg Popovich. I mean, it's kind of like the, the Bill Belichick coaching tree there almost, you know? Think about it. Uh, a Greg Popovich student, essentially. I think those two are the, the two that I, I would want the most and I feel like would be the best to move the Pacers in the right direction. Um, as far as the Victor Oladipo thing goes, I've heard, I, I haven't heard too much about those teams that you mentioned. The teams that I've heard the most uh, noise from that would that would look at moving for him, one of the most notable teams I would I I say I've heard is um, the Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, basically putting together a trade package for Victor Oladipo, and that would also include, I believe it's the number one overall pick. Yeah, number one overall pick, um, which wouldn't be a, a bad thing whatsoever. Um, to, you know, Victor Oladipo would be basically teaming up then with D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns. So he wouldn't have to be that go-to guy. He may be, he would be that kind of missing piece potentially. Um, another move that I've heard is package is uh, sending him to Houston. And I believe Miles Turner was included in that as well. I think I sent this one to you. Yeah. Where, uh, they get Russell Westbrook in return. Not thrilled about that one because Russell Westbrook is not – I don't think he's the player you want to build your team around to try to get to the, get through the playoffs. Russell Westbrook is – I mean, yes, he is, you know, as good as far as, you know, assists goes, but he is very – I don't know – well, yeah, I don't know how much – can't shoot. Right, yeah. So I was like, I don't know. I mean, he's a gr- – obviously, he's a great player, but he's – If he does not play defense. Right. So I was like, there's – there's a lot of of me, I think, that would be involved with Russell Westbrook. He wouldn't fit in in Indiana. No, no. Uh, which which as much as we'd like to be, well, as much as we like to you know throw out big names. I mean, to to find a big name that's actually rumored and be like, nah, that's not like the podcast to do that. But at the same time, it's you know, not yeah, a good fit. yeah, I, it's not going to be a good fit at all. And yeah. However, yeah. however, there has been a lot of rumor, a lot of smoke with this potential deal. That would include Victor Oladipo and Miles Turner and to a team 
that has been connected to Miles Turner a lot here recently. That is the Boston Celtics. I know, like, oh, come on. You're going to trade two of your best players to a, a, a team that's near the top of the conference? Yeah, but hear me out. Hear me out. One, unless you're a fan of, like, the Lakers or the 76ers, not many people out that you just it's hard to root against the Boston Celtics for one because of Brad Stevens and you know he's just that type of guy. Two, this would be a great move for both teams. The move, what I'm, I'm going to say here, make a few tweaks with potentially, but the trade package would be the Indiana Pacers send Victor Oladipo and Miles Turner to the Boston Celtics for Gordon Hayward, Marcus Smart. Robert Williams, the 14th pick and the 20th pick, both of them being in the first round. That would essentially give the Boston Celtics the super team that they are looking for, a team with Miles Turner, Jason Tatum, Marcus Brown, Kemba Walker, and Victor Oladipo. That is going to be one of the best starting five in the entire uh, Eastern Conference, potentially the NBA. Um, that gives them the that gives the Celtics the center that they've been looking for that can stretch the floor that can protect the rim, um, and it's a it, it, great move for them. Victor Oladipo would give them an, an extra scoring punch and added defensive uh, presence. Victor Oladipo is a very good defensive player. Uh, a lot of people sleep on that fact. Um, what the Pacers would get in return with Gordon Hayward, Marcus Smart, Robert Robert Williams, the 14th pick and the 20th pick. One, it moves you into the first round twice so that then gives you a little bit of flexibility if you want to trade some of those picks away for some other players package them with like whatever you need to do to get this team so it's not a, a rebuild you're going into um but it, it would be a, it'd be smart on there and also by the way you'd be like man that's a lot for the celtics to give up celtics do not have the cap space or the roster space for all the first all the picks that they have this year they have to unload these picks and this would be a, a good way for them to really build their team and get what they actually need. Um, and then you may be saying, well, Gordon Hayward hasn't been, he's been injured a lot. This is home for Gordon Hayward. He just bought a new multi-million dollar mansion in Fishers. So he still lives here. And maybe the change of scenery, you know, back in his hometown where he's not constantly away from family, anything like that may give him more of a relaxed approach and help him return to that all-star form. Marcus Smart would pick up the defensive pressure that we that you lose from uh, both Miles Turner, and, well, mostly from Victor Oladipo. And then Robert Williams is a great, it would be a really good backup to Sabonis or put him in as a backup at the power forward position. So this would then give the Pacers essentially, you know, I mean, obviously you got, you can draft two young players if you want, or use those picks to bring in some other veterans, whatever it may be. But the starting five for the Indiana Pacers would then look like Malcolm Brogdon at the at starting point guard, Marcus Smart starting at the two, Gordon Hayward starting at the three. TJ Warren would then get moved to the position that he is more comfortable at, which is the, the power forward position and be a stretch power forward for sure. I mean, that would be a defense. It'd be a nightmare for opposing defenses to have to have their four stretched out like that against him. And then Sabonis would be your starting five, moving him from the power forward position that he was at previously or whatever their lineup is, has been with Sabonis and Turner out on the court at the same time. And um, 
Robert Williams being one of your first players off the bench, because let's be honest, Goga did not leave us all super inspired about him being the backup, backup five. Uh, Robert Williams could either back up at the four or the five, whatever you need him to do. And heck, if, if you don't really want Robert Williams, if you're okay with um, Goga and seeing how he, how he uh, continues to grow or what you can get in the draft instead of Robert Williams, maybe look at a player like a Carson Edwards that could be one of those first players off the bench, second player off the bench to provide a scoring punch, you know, maybe for him getting out of a, a, a log jammed position may help him excel his career. I, I feel like this hey, B. Scott, where did, where did Carson Edwards go to college? Do you know? Oh, it was some Big Ten school. Okay, I got you. <laughs> uh, I'm just saying, like a player like player, players like him and Romeo Langford are, are kind of stuck in a log jam yeah. in Boston right now, and they're not getting to see the court that much. Um, I mean, Romeo Langford's been talked about in other trade packages just because he, he needs they he wants to be able to see the court. And that, that makes sense. Um, but even if you don't, if you, if you just keep Robert Williams in this this trade, it's a great start for the Pacers it puts the Celtics where they want to be the Pacers probably could be even bigger time contenders with this with this lineup and I mean heck that would put a lot of butts in the seats that's a that's a really good starting five it really is and then obviously you're going to get Jeremy Lamb back eventually from his injury or if you want to you can package him with a trade with a a draft pick or Doug McDermott with a draft pick and get another veteran player. I mean, there's a lot of options in the, even though the Pacers don't have much cap space by trading Oladipo and Turner, that frees up some stuff and it frees up and it brings in some other assets. I think this is the move that benefits both teams and both teams would be happy to see each other get benefited by it because I mean, I don't know. It, it, this is, this is one, I know it would hurt to lose two of your better players, but what you would return, get in return, I feel like would put the Pacers in a better position than they are in currently. Well, and I think, too, is that the, it's not like you're trading your two best players that are happy and in their prime. And, and well, Miles you know, Turner's well, happy. Well, well, right. But I, I mean, they're, <laughs> one is one and one is the other. So, like, yeah. you've got one player that's, that's maybe a little gruntled. Um, and then you've also got, or disgruntled, you've got one, another player that is, you know, kind of been right on that precipice of, of being, you know, even better and just hasn't quite gotten to that point yet. And it's been a few years now. And so that's why I think like, it's not as if, you know, it's the Rockets saying, you know what we want to do today? Let's trade James Harden and Russell Westbrook. It's not that it's, it's more or less. Hey, we're going to trade, you know, two players that have a lot of potential, have a lot of tradeability, ha- are very good players to get, you know, what better fits our team. So I think that's where that trade really kind of pans out is that that's what it kind of has to be looked at is because right now, I think, honestly, the one player on this roster that I'm like, he's going to like, I'm confident that he will be a pacer for a long time. And I, I think the team can really build around is Sabonis. That's, that's the player. I would right? even, I would even say TJ Warren. Right. But I mean, I, I guess of the players that have been kind of rumored in those trade talks, you know, between Turner and Sabonis and Oladipo, Oladipo and Turner, I think are kind of the biggest wild cards. And then you've got Sabonis, who I think is pretty entrenched uh, with the pacers as well. The, um, the best rumor 
And that's not even a rumor. I think this is just one somebody just swung for the fences just because they could and they need a clickbait. Victor Oladipo to the Los Angeles, and uh, I think Jeremy Lamb and Doug McDermott to the Los Angeles Clippers for Paul George. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> that would be the biggest middle finger to Paul George ever. That that's like that's the only reason I want that trade back is to be like. Paul George, double barrel salute to you, sir. And you you know what? We are going to talk about Paul George here in the next segment. Um, But I also want to bring up the fact that, hey, all you people out there that are like, hey, you know what? This The Clippers are what the Pacers could have been. They could have had Kawhi. They could have had Paul George. Guess what? They watched watched the same NBA finals that we did from their couches. So, Greg, Greg, you remember that question you asked me earlier about where Carson Edwards went to school? Yeah. You want to stand up and show everybody your sweatshirt real quick? Yeah. Oh, did you see it? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's Purdue. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's go ahead and transition now into hot or cold. Um, and so we've got three questions on the docket um, and it's going to kind of wrap up, you know, the, this NBA season. Um, a, and so uh, first question is the NBA bubble experiment was a success. I think that's a hot take. Um, you know, I think it went according to plan. Um, there wasn't really any issues. Um, you know, there was a couple of flare-ups here and there, but not of the virus, just people breaking quarantine. Um, there hey, was. You got to go to the strip club. You got to go to the strip club. That's all I, I got to say. I mean, yeah. What, what, what was it? Didn't somebody get like DoorDash and they like opened the door for their DoorDash guy? And like that was like an issue at one point. That was like earlier on in the summer when they were like just getting. Or when you got to sneak in that Instagram model. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, it was do it for the gram, baby. Do it I, for the gram. I do like that. Like halfway through the like bubble, they were getting. That's when they were getting mad about like family not being allowed. Like I understand they're not robots; they need to see their family. I'm not arguing against that. What I'm saying is, you do understand what a bubble is, correct? Like you can't just keep being like, "All right, let's get these whole new." Like because it's easier to kind of keep tabs on a team when you start bringing other variables in it, like family and that kind but of thing. That's family. The most heartwarming moment of the entire NBA bubble was when Jason Tatum's kids or his son showed up. True. That was probably the best video that was, that has come out of the entire NBA bubble. If you haven't seen it, Google it, whatever you got to do. Just, I mean, pure happiness. Gotta love it. Um, and now there was worries going into the bubble as well about it taking away from social injustice. In my opinion, now I, I've said, you know, in, in arguments and stuff with, you know, with other people and on, you know, different social media apps that I'm not one to, you know, say anything, you know, you know, based on I'm not one to kind of step in if someone says they're offended by something someone says it's an issue that they have and it's not necessarily my issue I'm not one to say hey you shouldn't be mad about that um but in my opinion I mean I think the fact that the Bucks and Magic in a playoff series were willing to boycott a game because of that cause you know the social injustice causes uh you know I think that that was kind that kind of prove that like hey you know what we can still have this bubble we can still return to play and then we can also like still keep the issues at the forefront i think that kind of um you know and and those cancellations through that like whole like couple of days across all sports really all sports took part in that as well um and i do feel confident that the nba um can appropriately handle a non-bubble season because if next season does happen um, you know, I think the only way it can happen is to have it outside of a bubble. Um, you're not going to lock people in a bubble for six months. I mean, I guess theoretically they did it for four, but I mean, you know, they, um, 
you're not going to be able to have an entire NBA season, um, you know, in a bubble. So I think that, um, you know, this is a league that is showing you they can do it, you know, but at this point, you know, when the NBA does restart, whether it be in December, whether it be in January, whenever they do decide to start their new, their next season, um, you know, I think it will be, you know, it'll also be after the NFL has, you know, gone through their, what they're going through college football, MLB, that kind of thing. So they'll kind of have a little bit more of an idea of what they can do as a, um, you know, as a, as a sport, as far as testing and stuff goes. And they're, they're much like baseball in the sense that it's a lot easier to postpone games, move games back, that kind of thing. So I am excited to see um, how they can handle it. Um, so, yeah, I think on the whole, the bubble was as a, a success. It did what it was supposed to do. There was not a whole lot of issues. And I, I, the NBA, you know, I'm, you know, I, I may not be as big of a fan of the NBA as I am major league baseball or the NFL, but um, I, I do have to say that like Adam Silver is by far the best commissioner in sports right now. And they did a great job with the bubble. Yeah, I agree. This is definitely a hot take. The bubble accomplished what it was set. It was set there to do, which was complete the NBA season and help us crown a champion. It did. And you're right. Adam Silver, I think is probably the best um, commissioner in all of sports because his players don't hate him. <laughs> Very true. Uh, I don't know how the owners feel, but the players don't hate him, um, which is, that, that's a big, that's a big deal because the players hate Roger Goodell and the NFL. And obviously we saw what happened in major league baseball. <laughs> Roger, uh, hey, Rob, Rob Manfred hates baseball and baseball hates Rob Manfred. That's pretty much so, sums that up. <laughs> but yeah, it was definitely a hot take. And, um, you know, I know the, the ratings for the NBA were way down when they came back into the bubble but I don't think it had anything to do with the bubble. It had, a, it had other thing. It, it had other reasons behind it, um, but it wasn't because of the bubble. So, yeah, why not? I know honestly, it created a blueprint for a lot of other leagues to look at, uh, a lot of other sports to look at on how to handle a situation like if they needed to go into a bubble. I mean, in the NCAA, a lot of Teams and conferences are looking at the potential bubble route or like, you know, pre non-conference scheduling, looking at bubble route as well. And I know, I mean, there's just a lot of, a lot of people are looking towards the NBA and using that blueprint to uh, figure out how to successfully put on a season or complete a season. So question number two, the Pacers should make a trade this offseason. We all kind of got into this a little bit already. That's a hot take for me. My trade idea is not as elaborate as, as that one you talked about earlier, although I do like the one we talked about with the, the Celtics, the Pacers. But I, I have said, and I said earlier this offseason, that the Pacers should trade Miles Turner at least um, because I think uh, they, they you know, what they get back in that dra- uh, trade package, um, you know, is going to be or should be um, draft capital. Um, there are a lot of teams that have, you know, multiple picks, um, you know, like the Celtics, you know, like, you know, maybe, you know, the, the 76ers have five picks throughout the whole draft. You're not saying that that's a trade that'll happen. You mentioned the Timberwolves. Um, that's also another p- possibility. I mean, the Warriors have the second pick and the 48th pick. So, I mean, you could possibly do something there. There's not a whole lot the Warriors need. But, I mean, I mean, those are just... Warriors could actually use a Miles Turner. Right. So, I mean, there's some definite possibilities there. But, it, it, you know, it, it's for the reasons that I spoke about earlier where... You know, it's a, more of a situation with Miles Turner where he's 
reached, you know, he's a good player, but he has not reached his full potential. So now maybe, you know, after years of kind of trying to get things figured out, it may just not be the right fit. So maybe you trade him away, get some draft back capital back, work your way back into things. Um, so I do think that that's a possibility. Um, you do want to stick with the bonus. Cause like I said, I think he's the most entrenched on the roster. Um, and then, yeah, if, if the relationship with the, you know, Victor Oladipo and the Pacers looks bleak, I'm all for, you know, trading him away because as much as I love Victor Oladipo, I mean, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And it's, you know, kind of, you know, at the end of the day, it's a business. You don't, you know, hate Victor Oladipo for it, as long as he doesn't do the same thing that Paul George did and say, Hey, you know what? I went out and I'm going to say that with a year left on my contract and good luck trading me. So, you know, you know, as long as it's not like one of those deals, if it doesn't, if it's not going to work out, it's not going to work out. And that now may be the time to trade him. Yeah, I think it's a hot take as well. The Pacers definitely, I mean, it's the only way they're going to get the roster that they want is to make trades. And we've talked about it. The two biggest trade assets that they have are Victor Oladipo and Miles Turner. I mean, yeah, there's some non um, starting caliber players that you can throw into a trade package if you need to. But I honestly think you need to trade both. I'll get into a little bit more in our next question as to why Victor Oladipo um, but I definitely feel like Miles Turner because you can't have two starting caliber centers on your team and expect both of them to be happy. And let's be honest, the player that's showing the most improvement and is, gets better year after year so far is Sabonis. I mean, he was an all-star this year. Um, I mean, he's a double-double machine. He doesn't disappear. He is probably one of the more physical players in the NBA even – so I, I just, I think it's time to move on from Turner, not because he's a bad player, but because it's, it's time for him to get it put into a better situation for him. A change of scenery may help him take that next step. And I do think it's time to move on from Victor Oladipo because I do feel like the writing is on the wall and he's not going to resign with the Pacers. I'll get a little bit more into that in our next question, but it is not because he doesn't want to be here in Indy. So I'll kind of leave it at that. Wait, that just leads us right into our our last question. And that is if Oladipo leaves, Paul George was right about the Pacers willingness to win. Now, if you missed it, we we did a a basically, you know, a podcast about this earlier on um, in in the summer, but Paul George went on bleach report, basically said that the Pacers don't want to win. That's why he didn't stick around. He said he had basically the best power forward Um, conveniently did not name names. Um, so that's always, you know, kind of something I go back to. Um, and then, you know, I, I still contend that, you know, you know, that the Pacers, you know, probably within reason were like willing to listen. And then, you know, he was like, Hey, I have this big name. That's going to basically break the bank. The Pacers said, we're not about that. So, um, you know, and I think it is a cool take, um, to say that, you know, Paul George would be right. If, if another, you know, a superstar potential player like Oladipo does leave, um, because unfortunately that is the mindset of the NBA is that you, that you're only successful if you have a super team, or if you go to a big market, it is a player's league, not that it shouldn't be, but it is a player's league and players seem to think that if, that they have a better shot of winning, if they go to a, you know, a city with more, you know, kind of buzz and hype, like a new New York or a LA, than they do or like a Brooklyn, let's be honest, Brooklyn yeah, or Brooklyn. Yeah. So they think that they, if they go there, that's, what's going to be, 
you know, the right move for them aside from going to a place like a, you know, like the Indiana Pacers, you know, like, you know, even, I mean, there's been teams even recently that have been smaller market teams that have been successful. I mean, Toronto, Toronto, Milwaukee, Oklahoma city back in the day. Um, you know, the Pacers even have shown, you know, you know, multiple times, you know, when they did have Paul George, Cleveland. 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 So, I mean, you know, these smaller market teams have been successful and, and, you know, we've even seen one win a, win a championship with the Toronto Raptors a couple of years ago. So, I mean, in Cleveland. Yeah. So, I mean, we we all think Cleveland, we don't think Cleveland because LeBron, Kyrie and (laughs) Kevin Love all played there. Right. But, they just, they broke the bank. Right. Yeah, exactly. And we saw that in the late stages there. They're where, still paying for it. Where LeBron literally didn't have anybody around him. We kind of saw that at the end of his time there in Cleveland. But, but yeah, I mean, it, it's a situation where, you know, people have, you know, the league has that mindset and until that mindset changes, you know, players will be like, well, yeah, this, the Pacers are a good stepping stone, but the only way I can kind of get my name out there is if I go to a New York and that kind of thing, which is, or a Brooklyn or an LA, um, you know, and the Pacers aren't willing to break the bank for one player. And, it, and it's a move that while it might be frustrating at times when they have the cap space and they can go out and get, you know, you know, I remember when all the rumors and kind of, you know, hype for a couple of days was about, you know, when Kevin Durant visited Indy, you know, it, it can look a little bleak sometimes when they're not willing to do that, but it's kind of like watching the Colts operate where the Colts have been like, Hey, you know what? We're not, you know, we're not going to, you know, you know, make our team successful or not successful based on one player. And that's kind of how the Pacers have looked at it too, where they're like, you know what, we're not going to make, you know, that we're not going to put all of our eggs in one basket and then basically put nothing else around them and hope that it does well. They want to build a team. And if it's not in the cards for them, as far as getting a big name player that wants a lot of money, they're not going to do that. And I, you know, I'm in no way against, you know, Victor Oladipo, if he wants out, he doesn't, you know, think he's getting paid enough, that kind of thing. Fine. You know what? I'm always for a player going out and seeking a new contract, seeking, um, you know, uh, seeking a, a better financial situation, because at the end of the day, these players only have a certain amount of time to make the money that they're making and they have to make it last their whole rest of their lives. So, um, but at the same time, like I said, I mean, you know, it's, it's a situation where I think the Pacers are just a team that doesn't want to break their bank, the bank for one player. And because it's a player's league and because these bigger cities have more, you know, capital to kind of throw around. That's why they flock to those areas instead of going to a place where they can um, actually succeed with more of a team around them. Um, So, uh, you know, I also think too, that, you know, there's been a lot of obstacles, you know, for instance, when Paul George was here, uh, you know, with the Pacers, LeBron was in his way. Um, And so there wasn't really too much, even on a good year, there wasn't a whole lot getting past, you know, LeBron, Wade, and Bosch are getting past, you know, LeBron, Love, you know, Kyle Korver, Kyrie Irving, those great teams that, that Cleveland had. Um, so, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of getting around that. And then now I think, the, I think the Pacers, they've had three years of Oladipo and I think they've done right by Victor Oladipo. They've, you know, like I said, it's, it was the one fantastic year that, you know, was right after the trade and, and, you know, everything was looking really good. And then you have the year with the injury and the year recovering from the injury. There's not been a single time, you know, where during that time I've been like, you know what, they're not putting enough. They're not trying hard enough to appease Victor Oladipo. I've never once thought that this entire time. Have there been times where I'm like, yeah, it'd be cool if they went to go get a Kimball Walker, if they went to go get, you know, a Clay Thompson, you know, would it be cool to go, you know, get one of those guys? Absolutely. But at the same time, I don't think the Pacers have been like, 
yeah, you know, we could put more talent. We can afford more talent to go around Victor Oladipo, but if he can't do it himself, we don't want him here. That's definitely not the mindset. And so I think overall the Pacers, you know, if Victor Oladipo leaves, I will not look at the Pacers organization and say they didn't do enough because I think they've done, you know, an outstanding job of, of what they've done with, with their time with Victor Oladipo. I agree. This is a cold take. Um, the situations do not compare whatsoever. If, if Victor Oladipo gets traded, honestly, I don't see him just walking away from the Pacers. They're going to get something for him. I mean, that's just what they, they can do. Um, but it's, he's not going to leave because he wants to go to a bigger market or he doesn't think the Pacers are doing enough. It's going to be because he thinks he's worth more money than the Pacers thinks, think he's worth. And that's, that's honestly what it is. He's looking for superstar money. Pacers are like, you got to prove it more so. And we're not willing to spend that kind of money on somebody that hasn't proven it yet. But honestly, I think the Pacers have done a lot to put players around them. Yeah, they haven't gone out and broken the bank by bringing in a Clay Thompson or these big marquee names. But I, I think the fact that this past offseason really proved that the Pacers are willing to do what it takes to put together a winning team not a winning super team like of three players and a bunch of ring chasers behind them that follow that, you know, LeBron's posse, essentially, you know, J.R. Smith and all those guys that will follow him from team to team to team and help him win championships. You're not going to get those types of players in Indiana or you're not going to get, you're also not going to get those big time superstars. So what the Pacers have done is they've built a team. I mean, going out and trading a your future first round pick and signing him to a big contract with Malcolm Brogdon, that's a big move. That was a big move that people overlook. And then the fact that basically the Pacers robbed the Phoenix Suns blind for TJ Warren, that was another huge move. I mean, <laughs> going out then and acquiring, signing Jeremy Lamb, Another big move. These are, these are the moves that aren't going to be super team type moves, but these are moves that are going to help you get to that championship contending level. Now, obviously some uh, yeah, the Pacers got swept in the first round, but when you're missing your starting all-star center, that's a big deal. And, but the coach, I mean, the coach, the kind of old school coach, to be honest, Nate McMillan, nice guy, great, you know, Players like him and everything, but his philosophy, his coaching philosophy just doesn't mix very, mesh very well into the current day NBA. Um, so I, this is a team that they, they're doing what they need to do for what they are willing to do. And it's, it, I think they're building a team that is, a, that is fully capable of winning a lot of games and being a contender in the East yet again. Um, but do I think Victor Oladipo is going to be a part of that in the future? No, I, I don't because not because Victor Oladipo doesn't want to be here and not because the Pacers don't want to win, but because they're not going to be able to agree upon his worth, to be honest. And, and that's just the way it is. He wants more money. He wants superstar money. Pacers don't want to give him superstar money because he hasn't proven that yet. And I mean, let's be honest. He hasn't, he really hasn't. You just mentioned it there. He had that one good season post-trade, the injury season and then the recovery season. They need to see that he's fully back to post-trade level of playing. 
And I don't think they're willing to wait on that and then have him potentially bolt to go somewhere else. And I'm okay with that. I, I am okay with that. If, if it can net a, a, like that trade we talked about with the Celtics, I feel like that is a trade that sets the Pacers up to be contenders in the East long-term. I may be wrong, but I think that's a great move. I think it's a, I think it's a great trade. Yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you, and I mean, I, I I agree with everything you said as well. Like, you know, if they can make that move and they can get it done, I mean, it's a good trade. It'll help the, it'll help pay off. And yeah, I mean, if Victor, you know, Victor Oladipo isn't happy, I mean, fine, go be happy somewhere else. I wish you all the best, and that's just how it works sometimes. Yeah, it is, and you know, if they trade him to a, a market that is willing to pay him more. That's, that's a perfect fit for him, you know? I don't know. I, 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 I loved the I, – I think we all fell in love with Victor Oladipo when we all got so surprised of how well him and Sabonis played after we all thought – Well, I mean, look at, look at what the – for them was like look – uh, Look at what the bar was. The bar was literally when he got when, – when his name – you know, sp- you know, popped up as that was the trade. Like the literal first thought I had was like, that was just to put butts in the seats because they know IU fans are going to flock to go see Victor Oladipo. And that's literally the only reason. And then he comes out and plays really well and basically makes you think like, Oh, Hey, Paul George, who we got Victor Oladipo, like, let's go. And so, you know, the bar was so low and the, the ascent to being where they are now was so quick and so great that like it, you know, it, it's, it's been, it's been crazy, but yeah, I mean, when you really boil it down, it's like we've said, you know, a couple of times already, it's been one good season and two that have been solid, but you know, you just don't know and you don't want to sit there and wait on. Cause I mean, that's the thing too. I think a lot of fans don't realize that you know, you're going to be mad at the Pacers anyway, if he does bolt anyway, and they didn't, and they didn't get anything for him when they could have. Right. I'd rather get something for him now and part on terms saying, Hey, we wish you luck in the future. You know, it's just we, we, we can't come to terms on the, the, the level of salary, to be honest. And, that, and that's nothing – that has nothing to do with the Pacers' willingness to win. That's business. Yeah. You know, if, if you're in sales, you had one good year, you came back, and next year and we're sick a lot and just kind of had a down year, and then you started to rebound your third year there, and then you went into your boss's office and asked for a raise – it's going to be okay. Prove that you can go back. You can get back to where you were in year one. You know, you're not going to get a raise just because you had one solid year out of three. Right. Even if you were sick with COVID, you know, it, that, I don't know. It's uh, trying to put it into real life uh, model that people can understand, but it, it, it's not the, like I said, it's not the Pacers willingness to win or not to win or whatever. It's, it comes down to business and looking at what the Pacers think he's worth and what he thinks he's worth. Absolutely. Well, that will do it for this week's edition of the Crash Course Podcast. Thank you guys all 
for tuning in. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Crash Course FM. You can like us on Facebook, Crash Course Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel where you can see uh, you can see the video version of the podcast if you don't catch us live, as well as a new episode of Memory Lane coming out on Friday, so you won't want to miss that. Also, you can remember you can listen to us weekly on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever podcasts can be heard. You can hear the Crash Course Podcast next week. Believe it or not, we will be previewing uh, the Big Ten football season. It'll be our third college football preview of the fall. So I'm excited for that. Uh, so uh, we'll be able to talk a little bit about, you know, what's going on in, in the rest of the college football world as well. So really excited to get into that. But until then, have a good week, everybody.